You're listening to Agency Dealmasters, brought to you by Bridge. My extra special guest this week is Richard Hadler, the CEO of Allen Agency and author of his new book, Marketing the Bottom Line. And if you are even remotely interested in anything to do with B2B marketing, then this is the one for you. No big intro for me this time. I prefer for things to speak for themselves. So without me keeping you in suspense any further, my conversation with the CEO of Allen Agency, Richard Hadler. My name is Nathan Anibaba, and this is Agency Dealmasters. Agency Dealmasters is a series of conversations with world-class agency leaders building great agency businesses. I believe everyone belongs in the growth journey, and this show is dedicated to the stories and the lessons of ambitious agency builders of all types by examining their history, competitive advantage, and what makes them tick. Now, let's jump in. Richard Hadler is the CEO of Allen, a full-service B2B marketing agency. They are reimagining the modern-day B2B marketing agency. He also has a new book out called Marketing the Bottom Line. I can't wait to get into everything, including the book in more detail. Richard Hadler, welcome to Agency Dealmasters. Nathan, thank you very much for having me, my friend. Pleasure. We've had this in the diary for a long time. I've been looking forward to speaking to you for a while now. Let's start with your background uh, and history because it's a really interesting one, very, very different one to a lot of people that we've had on the show. You started your career at Sandy Balls in 2008 as a sales and guest retention manager. What impact did that have on your career and the way you think about sales and marketing? Yeah, so some of your listeners will probably be aware that Sandy Balls is a holiday village in the New Forest and some may not be. Uh, Very unfortunate name. But it, it definitely um, it definitely shaped who I am today. I actually started working there just pre that, actually, um, whilst doing my A-levels. Uh, and my attendance at school was extremely low because I was working a 40-hour uh, working week there and, uh, to be honest, not, not attending uh, class. Um, but what I did know from a very early age is that I knew that I was learning a lot more from working full time than I could in the classroom. Now, obviously it's not the case for everyone, but for me, um, I think I was extremely lucky um, to not only have a job where I learned a lot about business, uh, which is what I was doing in, in mainly in my A-levels. Um, I, I was extremely lucky to have a, a mentor uh, at a very early age of uh, a very early stage of my career, which is, I think really important for, for any young uh, professional. So it was a, a really positive time for me early on. You, you were at Raconteur for about seven years before becoming managing director of Raconteur, the agency. Uh, we had Will on the show a couple of years ago, and that was just a fascinating chat. What did you take away from that experience? So Raconteur um, has grown significantly over the years. Um, we experienced low lows uh, and we experienced very high highs throughout my time in, in the publishing business. Um, I'm sure I speak for myself and probably many others that were in the business between 2012 and 2020. Um, it was an extremely important part of my career. Over the years, we had some amazingly talented people who are either still in the business. Obviously, you mentioned Will. 
um, but also uh, others that maybe have left to go to pastures new that have done some some fantastic things. And I think the, the main takeaway from the period of time was um, the importance of credibility in your subject matter and your marketplace. And I suppose that no matter what job or industry you work in, you need to be very proud to represent your product or service. And that's definitely what we always were at Raconteur and probably something that's fueled the, the immense uh, growth that we, we've experienced to date. So tell us a little bit more about Raconteur before we get into Alan, the agency, because a lot of people listening would be familiar with the publishing arm of Raconteur. They used to have those supplements in the Times. Tell us about kind of the how the Raconteur, the business has grown and the agency that's come out of the back of it. I don't think people will be familiar. And then let's use that as a jumping off point to talk about Alan. Yeah, yeah, great. So um, you, you alluded to that. I mean, so when I started in, in the raconteur business all those years ago, uh, you're quite right. We were predominantly a print based product. Um, and all those years ago, we were mainly relying solely on that relationship with the Times, which is not a bad partner to have a relationship with. Who are they? <laughs> slightly familiar uh, yeah yeah exactly uh, but over the years look as everything does the business grew it diversified um uh, and now the raconteur group as we call it is made up of three businesses uh, and the group is split into basically two halves so you've got the publishing business which is obviously the the business that was founded and it, it's grown immeasurably um, and the group is now turning over more than 20 million pounds uh, revenue and it has a, a, a lot of strings to its bow both on the publishing side and also obviously the agency side which we're going to uh, talk about um, but definitely you know the publishing business has become a B2B powerhouse under the stewardship of, of Will Brooks who you had on the show previously um, and then the agency side uh, has grown significantly over the last four to five years, um, and it's starting to become a, a significant beast in its own right. So we made um, a conscious decision a few years ago, once the business was growing, to basically split the business into two areas so we could focus on the publisher being a powerhouse publisher, and then also on the agency side, which is obviously what I'm responsible for, to, to grow a group of agencies that can take the world by storm, let's hope. And Alan is, uh, is, is one of them. And Alan's my baby, I suppose. <laughs> so let's, so let's talk about Alan in, in a bit more detail. You're, you're the CEO of Alan, a, a full service B2B agency, mainly for tech financial services and professional services businesses. Tell us a little bit more about the agency for those that aren't familiar, because it's a relatively new agency and proposition. What problems do you solve for your customers? Yeah. Uh, well, the agency is, uh, so the Allen brand is probably about 18, 19 months old, but the, the agency itself is about five years old. Um, but there aren't many agencies out there that were born out of publishers, right? So we can help our clients uh, understand what C-suite audiences truly engage with, which obviously we have a bit of a leg up given our publishing heritage. Um, but we also have a, an extremely large emphasis on marketing strategy, research, and then obviously content due to our heritage. Um, and that is something that has, um, you know, been a mainstay for, for our agency proposition and offering for, for years and is something that does set us apart, I would, I would suggest, from other B2B agencies, definitely. 
And then, so tell us how the business has grown over over five years or so. And what was the decision? How did you come to the decision to rebrand about 18 months ago? You know, how 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 are you positioning yourself? Yeah, I, I suppose the, the the reason why we we rebranded to to Alan, there's a story behind the name. Um, but the reason we rebranded to Alan was uh the business had grown to such an extent, you know, we were going to pitches and tenders as raconteur agency and they were like, we know raconteur, you're a publisher, uh, but you're talking to us, you know, as an agency and, and the conversations are different between what a publisher does and what an agency does. And um, it was a really fortunate position to be in, right? We had this great publishing business, which is going from strength to strength. And we had this agency business, which was, more in its infancy a little while ago, but, um, you know, had great potential. But we did need to build a brand that was a brand in its own right. Um, and that's obviously why we we rebranded to, to Alan and subsequently haven't looked back. You know, we're, I think we're now starting to be recognised within the B2B marketing sphere as a, as a, a you know, truly influential agency in our own right, which was always the, the, the plan, I suppose. Agency Dealmasters is brought to you by Bridge, the growth-focused podcast agency. We help ambitious agencies talk to the right brands through the power of podcasting. Generate leads, win new business, and increase reputation. Check out our clients' podcasts and find more resources to keep learning at bridgegrowth.org. Now, back to the show. So, so let's talk about B2B marketing in a, in a bit more detail because you could say that, that there's a lot changing in B2B marketing at the moment. Uh, a huge amount of research coming out from Ehrenberg Bass and the B2B Institute about the importance of brand and top of the funnel and emotions in B2B marketing. There are still a lot of B2B agencies that are focused on, um, you know, content, ABM. Um, you could argue slightly more towards the mid and bottom end of the funnel. Talk a little bit about where you sit in that hierarchy and what's the problem with the way B2B marketing is done today and how are you different? How are you approaching it differently for your customers? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. And, and, and I think that, um, to be honest with you, we don't sit in one particular place. It will depend on, you know, what the client needs. Um, obviously, from a strategic standpoint and a marketing planning standpoint and a creative ideation one, that's where we're extremely strong. Um, but we would always work with people, you know, from strategy to activation, right? Um, I, I think to answer your question, it's a, it's a really interesting one, certainly after the last couple of years that we, we've been through about, Ultimately, you're asking what's wrong with with the way that B2B businesses market themselves, right? And I think based on the conversations we have, there's two main trends, I'd say. I think on the whole, and this isn't the case for everyone, I I do want to uh, caveat what I'm about to say, but on the whole, I do believe that marketing departments still aren't in tune enough with the actual needs of the business. Um, I think too many campaigns that we see are often focused on ineffective short-term metrics that don't provide long-term business value. And I stress the word business value, and that's obviously whatever the key objectives or the purpose and the vision of the the, the business is. Um, And as I said, don't get me wrong, it's not the fault of marketing always. 
Um, it's the fact, I think, that the business still doesn't understand or certain businesses don't understand the value that marketing can bring. Um, so I think it's a two-way street, right? It's the marketers being more business savvy in, in some instances, but it's also uh, companies and organizations and senior folk within those boards understanding the role in which marketing plays to help businesses reach their objectives. Um, and I think the second trend that um, I see a lot at the moment is, you know, there's a, an increased scrutiny these days over the focus on budget and obviously it's completely understandable right budgets are being squeezed now more than ever before but I, I think that the immense focus that marketers maybe sometimes have on budget does stifle creative thinking um, and you wouldn't believe the number of times that we work with brands and need to stress the fact that great creative doesn't always have to come with a million pound price tag um, and I think that that still does to this day get lost a bit because everyone thinks to come up with the the great creative concept, the great creative idea is going to come with a, a, an immense price tag. And it doesn't need to. Uh, it's all about the approach that you take within the business to think creatively. And I think that as an agency, that's one thing that we're we're very good at and sure other B2B agencies are as well to help our clients think beyond the, the bounds of, of budget, essentially. So, so just going back to your to your first point about businesses um, not appreciating marketing or not appreciating the value that marketing adds to their business, I've I've heard that uh, that sort of argument quite a few times. But my my pushback to that is, you know, a lot of the people responsible for making these decisions on the board and the exec team, they're very smart people. They're you know they, they may not be marketeers by trade, but they're commercially very savvy. And, you know, their, their understanding of the importance of marketing, maybe not the minutiae or the, or the detail, but they understand the value that marketing in a general sense can add to an organization. Um, to what extent do you think it's a lack of sort of confidence in the marketing leader who is coming to them with these ideas as opposed to them not understanding value? Because if you have a CMO or a head of marketing in role, and for whatever reason, they can't justify to the board as to why they need this budget and the value that it's going to bring back to the business. Surely that's probably more of the reason why they're skeptical about the value that, that marketing can add. Yeah, no, I, th I think it's a, a valid point. And I think that there's no silver bullet answer to, to that question. Um, and, and I do firmly believe that um, it rests with a number of different stakeholders to um, change the way that certain marketing functions are perceived, not just with the leader themselves. But, um, you know, example would be, you know, if I'm a CMO and I'm, I'm in the board and I'm talking about metrics that may be irrelevant to me to, to achieve my job, but um, maybe not so much to the board. And I, I'll give an example, right? So um, I'm a CMO and I know that um, the more web traffic that we get, the more uh, subscribers we get, the more conversions that will ultimately lead to. Well, if I'm going into the, the board setting and I'm saying, we've got X amount of, of thousand uh, views on our website, we've got X amount of, of dwell time on our, our content, and ultimately we've got, uh, I don't know, 100 potential ideal prospects that we might be able to sell to. Now, the problem there is 
they've set their stall out with numbers that maybe can't quite be understood by the C-suite in the same way that they are by the marketer. So what then happens is they are basically almost by talking about those types of metrics, you're setting yourself up for quite a fall because if they don't result in tangible leads or opportunities or revenue in three months' time, you've almost kind of uh, undone all of the hard work that marketing does because you've spoken about metrics that never maybe yielded any result. Uh, and the reason why I give that example is because I think that it's all about the conversation that you're having as a as a marketeer with the business to make sure that you're translating it into the terms that the C-suite board absolutely care about. And then uh, hopefully get to a place where we can all show that the value that marketing are bringing a, a, in, a, in a slightly different manner. But then obviously the other thing that you've got to consider is typically around um, board settings uh sales is is king because it's a it's a revenue driver and and ultimately um the relationship between marketing and sales as we're probably going to get on to a bit later is sometimes quite fractious and that's quite tough because uh there are i would say you could argue with this i don't know but maybe 90% 95% of of boards are going to have sales leaders of some description, whether they be past or present on on those. So there's going to be a natural bias towards sales versus marketing if there is a bit of friction. Um, And I know that I've gone off piece there a little bit, but what I'm trying to convey is there are a number of contributing factors to marketing not being perceived in the way that it it should be. And I don't think it's all about the, the individual leading marketing because uh, you know, the adjective, you can take a horse to water, but then, um, you know, I, 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 but then again, you know, marketing leaders do need to do absolutely need to understand what the, the business needs to achieve and talk in the, the language of the board. And I think that that's one very, very important message that, that needs to be put across to the senior marketing community. So, so from your time in Raconteur, and now at Allen, what's changed in your view in the way that B2B brands grow from, from when you started in the agency world to where we are today? And, and, and what do you think are the things that have stayed the same? Well, I, th- I think that, you know, one thing that has definitely changed in the last five years is data. You know, d- data has become so prevalent in uh, a lot of industries, but c- certainly B2B marketing, you know, um, uh, maybe too prevalent, actually. So um, we have so much data at our fingertips now through, you know, the tools and the tech that we're all using and the understanding of the, the customers that actually maybe having too much data can be quite problematic because it leads to not being able to make decisions quickly enough it leads to not really knowing what data to take and and use versus what data just to disregard um so i think you know uh, one thing that i've definitely noticed in, in in the b2b landscape is um the amount of data and then obviously that comes with its own challenges about how to use and interpret that data um which has changed and then i think the, the constant um which needs to be the constant, I think, and has always needed to be for the last hundred years in marketing. If you go back to, you know, the 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 great ad times, Madison Avenue, Dun yeah, Draper well, days. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> the the constant is the investment in long term brand building. Okay. So building a brand that is well regarded and well recognised in the marketplace you serve is critically important because 
what will happen is if you build a great brand over the long term, you will absolutely see much greater results in all of those shorter term campaigns and activities that we all want to do and we all want to achieve great results from. But seriously, the conversations that we have with all of the marketing community right now is if you aren't investing in long term brand building, you're going to make your job a lot harder in the short and midterm which sounds quite counterintuitive, but it's absolutely true. And again, it goes back to the conversation we were having earlier about the the chat with the board, um, them understanding that it's not all about the short-term metrics because you're basically building a house on on sand if you are always focused on the the short-term leads and the short-term revenue and not investing in long-term brand building. Is that just because... Marketers just aren't given the time. I mean, you know, it's been talk- it's six months. They're football been- managers. They're like football, well, <laughs> Chelsea football managers specifically. You know, you, you get three months, see what you can do. If you can turn it around, great. If not, if you can't win the Champions League, then then you've got a problem. But is is that, that surely is to blame, right? The fact that boards and the executive team aren't investing enough and maybe don't even have enough confidence in, the, the most senior marketing leader, you know, the CMO, the head of marketing at, at their business to give them that time to build a brand because a brand isn't built in six months. Sorry, sorry, Roman Abramovich, but. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, so, so I have two hats when it comes to this conversation, right? I have my CEO of an agency hat, which is I do completely understand that um, it's quite difficult to invest in or, or to think about investing in long term when you go through periods like we've gone through in the last couple of years, right? Um, the backdrop has completely changed in terms of the way that we needed to do business. We needed to pivot quite quickly um, and we needed to do things differently. And ultimately, sometimes you have to have a short termist view. But my other hat, obviously, is working with the marketing community all the time and understanding the value of and the importance of long-term brand building. I think that the the, the story is here is no matter how tough times get, um, no matter how much the market changes, everyone needs to be um, acutely aware that to create a business that's going to last long-term and have incremental revenues or be very valuable in the future, you have to invest in brand. And we know that because you look at the most successful businesses in the in the world, whether they're B2C or B2B. Apple, Coca-Cola, Microsoft, exactly. IBM, go down the list, right? You know, it's about brand. Um, uh, uh, and, you know, form is temporary, class is permanent kind of thing, right? <laughs> I love the football analogies in this podcast. Uh, yeah, unfortunately, you'll always get that with me. Always. <laughs> Let's talk about your your book, um, Marketing the Bottom Line. What were you hoping to add to the conversation about B2B marketing that hasn't already been said? Uh, look, it's, um, it, it's an interesting one, right? Like, I really hope that people are finding some semblance of value from the book. Um, in fact... I really hope they are because it took me a bloody long time to write it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, I, I think I spent a number of years in commercially fo- focused roles and uh, I'm never going to hide away from that because I think that's what's made me who I am today. And 
I've also spent years working with marketers at different rungs of the organization and now obviously very senior ones at very large brands. And what I think I do have is a very unique perspective to talk about the difficulties on the sales side of the fence and then the marketing side of the fence. So um, to answer your question, you know, what am I going to what have I tried to achieve with the book? that hasn't already been said, I try to give a different perspective to marketers about the importance of the role that marketing plays within the organisation and make sure that they, as we said earlier, focused on the things that truly matter to modern business from my sales lens and from my understanding about what marketers need lens as well. Mm. Love that. So you, you say in the book, quote, the illusion of shiny new objects lures the industry to make quick, confused grabs and use old philosophies backed by aimless tactics. Bit harsh? Uh, not really. Um, I believe it's true. Um, and uh, if you think about it, right, there's so many, like we said earlier, there's so many tools, techniques, technologies that marketers can use now. It's quite confusing. Um, and the best marketers are often the ones that simplify things and have laser focus, which is kind of what I'm alluding to there. Um, but the other thing is, is that uh, <laughs> our brand, Alan, is all built on being provocative. And, um, you know, the business is set up to make sure that when we work with clients, we give them provocative truths about their current marketing, about the situation that their business is in and, and the landscape. But also, from my standpoint, I need to be quite provocative, A, because I want to sell a couple of books, uh, but B, I want to be on brand. I want to be on brand. You've got, right? you've got at least one sale. I bought one. <laughs> there we go. Exactly. Um, but I, I do believe it. Um, uh, obviously, you know, uh, when they're things like that are written on the back of a book, it kind of has to be a bit punchy. What's the one idea you want people to take away from the book? Um, if you aren't working in an organisation that is currently or at least prepared to understand the value of marketing, then you've got to leave it for your own sanity, I think. Absolutely love that. And last question. So if, you know, looking into your crystal ball in five or 10 years time, you've got a vision in your mind as to what Alan, what you want Alan to become. What do you think has to happen both internally and externally to enable that vision to come to reality? And if it doesn't happen, what would have happened to stop that from happening, if that makes any sense to you whatsoever? Um, well, we are a bit of a steam train at the moment, um, but obviously every, anything can happen. I think that what we've always been very good at is, you know, we're an agile business. Um, we're quite a young business. We're very entrepreneurial. And I think that we have to be that way inclined to grow. And uh, I think that the two things that we'll always be looking at in the next five years on a you know monthly or, or, or quarterly basis is the client retention rate. So if we're rec if we're retaining our clients, it means they must trust us. We're doing a great job, and they see us as a long term partner. Uh, and then the other one is the employee retention rate. You know, uh, we all know how competitive the the agency talent landscape is right now. Um, it's vitally important for us, like every other agency, to build an environment that people want to stay in and grow in. Um, and if we're doing those two things, we're going to naturally grow. 
Um, now, which areas we grow into, whether that's organically through increase of our service offering um, or uh, through acquisitions, which we're, you know, we've been actively on the lookout for previously, um, I don't know just yet. But what I do know is uh, we we have a, a very enthusiastic and, like I said, entrepreneurial team who are very keen on making a mark in the B2B sphere. And so far, I have no reason to, to doubt that. Um, and I'm incredibly excited to build a business that hopefully makes a mark on on the marketing industry in a similar way to the way that Ogilvy might have done all those years ago um, in a B2C context. Love that. I've got a ton of questions off the back of that, but we don't have we don't have the time. I'm going to have to get you back on the show just to <laughs> just to dig into that in more detail. Um, I can't let you go without asking our favorite questions that we ask all of our guests. If you listen to the show before, you know what's coming. Um, so let's jump into these now. First question, you happy with the job Arteta's doing? <laughs> I am very happy with the job Arteta's doing. I think um, uh, obviously, you know, it was a bit of a, an odd time but, uh, a, a year or so ago, but he's got rid of all the dead word. He's, he's doing a, a pretty good job now and we're playing football like we haven't played in years. So yeah, all good. Okay, okay, good. Uh, tell us about a time when you failed and what you learned from the experience. Uh, I tried to write a book five years ago, six (laughs) years ago, um, and I got about 20,000 words in. uh, That's quite a bit. That's half a book. Yeah, it was and, 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 and. And I I realised it was pretty crap. Um, And and what I learned from that experience is you can't write a book if you don't have enough experience. Life experience. Uh, Exactly. So, um, yeah, that wasn't ideal, but um, I took those learnings six years later and finally got over the line. (laughs) You're going to, have you got a second, third book in you? Are you going to turn into an Ernest Hemingway or a, I don't know. I don't have the time. Uh, If I had the time, then yeah, maybe so. Uh, Let's see how this one goes first. Okay. Okay. Um, Tell us about, some of your early mentors who influenced the way that you think about your own career, sales and marketing, B2B growth, whatever? Yeah, interestingly, my mentors have always been business leaders rather than marketing leaders in the purest sense. Okay. Um, And I suppose they taught me the importance of business units working together to achieve a common goal, which is obviously akin to the conversations that we've we've had previously. So, you know, it's not just about sales and marketing. It's about sales, marketing, client success, HR, finance. How can you galvanize a team of people to get bought into an end destination to work together to achieve great things? I think is the type of mentors that I've surrounded myself with over the last number of years. What's the most interesting thing people don't know about Richard Hadler? Uh, well, I'm quite an open book, so there's not many things people don't know. But I, I suppose uh, one of the things I, I never went to uni, um, so I, <gasps> I, I, I did a, an OU degree. And, and um, do your clients know this? Uh, yeah, of course they do. Um, <laughs> but but uh, the, the interesting thing about that was I was the first person we hired at Raconteur without a red brick uni degree. Mm. Um, uh, now, needless to say, that rule has long since been abolished. Good. Um, uh, and to caveat, that was nine years ago. Um, and I was employee number nine or whatever. But, okay. um, uh, yeah, I mean, that's maybe something people don't know about me. 
Interesting, interesting. Um, by the way, what do you think a, a university, what's the difference be, between you or people like you that haven't gone to university and those that have with your experience now that where you are in your career, what's the difference, would you say? Look, I, I think that everyone's different, right? Um, it wasn't right for me. Um, I was quite a way ahead of my peer group by the time that they got out. And I think that the job market, you know, seven or eight years ago, for people with degrees wasn't as easy as it may have been in, in years gone by. Mm. I think that there was a big degree of life experience that I, I had by doing what I did and, and going to work early. And the other thing was that I, I was very um, used to managing diverse teams of people very early on in my career. Um, you know, I was managing a sales team of 20 people at Sandy Balls when I was 19 and they ranged from, 16 year old people out at just out of school to you know part-time mums and and that was uh one of the best experiences that i could have ever had and i would never have got that if i went to uni that is an unfortunate name i have to say i know i know um anyway let's move on we were on the um jonathan ross show once uh because someone called in and took the mic and it went viral (laughs) and it was great great for sales (laughs) uh amazon prime or netflix or disney plus or hulu or apple tv like what are you watching or streaming that's good um i I think uh uh, i'm a netflix man because there's just such an affinity with netflix because it was kind of the initial game changer uh, and I like that. Yeah. Um, but yeah. favourite shows is like Peaky Blinders easily. Um, I haven't started watching the new the new That's series yet. Where because I'm from. We're, we're watching. Yeah, of course. We're watching uh, every episode at the moment. We're yeah. on, uh, back on series five and ready to rock and roll with the wow. new series. Wow. There's a lot yeah. of episodes. There is, but it's great. It's so good. It is really good. Um, what else can I ask you before I let you go? What advice would you give to a young person or a millennial who wants to start their career in an agency? I think tr- try as many different roles as you possibly can in the early stages of your career. I think the best thing for me um, was working across So going back again, you know, I know it's not completely related, but going back to when I started my career in in that holiday village, um, I was taken under the wing of the then MD and he basically gave me a training plan to work across 10 different departments within two years between the ages of 18 and 20. And what it did do is it gave me a great understanding of every different job within the organization but it also then gave me the opportunity at the end of that to decide what direction I wanted to take my career in so when we talk about b2b agency world or just the agency world in general you know you've got so many different roles and responsibilities and disciplines that people can work in um, I think that sometimes in agency land we might have a habit of pigeonholing people in the role they start in. And I don't think that's necessarily true. Um, and, and I think that it's something that we're really trying to achieve with Alan, certainly going forward, is to create programs that give people as much exposure at that entry level role to as many different roles as they possibly can for then them to choose the direction they want to head after, you know, an 18 month period. So it sounds like at Sandy Balls, I'm going to try and keep a straight face whenever I say that. (laughs) But you were given a lot of responsibility at a very early age, 18 to 20. A lot of responsibility was heaped on you. Um, What did you think the MD saw in you at that time? And do you do a similar thing to young people when you're hiring them? Because 
it's in some ways it's a bit of a risk, you know, giving an 18 year old a lot of responsibility, sink or swim, really. How how do you make that decision as to whether or not you you give a young person a lot of responsibility? Yes, yeah, it's, it's tough. Um, you also don't want to heap too much responsibility on them because obviously of the, the, the pressures that come associated with that. Um, I think my circumstance was slightly different. Um, uh, and actually, I would say people need to buy the book and there's a couple of chapters in there which talk about how it all came about. I'm working um, through it right now. <laughs> um uh but but i think um you just have to recognize that um you know that diver- that diversity of thought and the the ideas that come from young people is pretty amazing and you know we really need to harness that in in agency land because um there has been a dearth of 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 younger talent maybe that's been coming through in the last number of years and maybe that's because of the you know, the, the perfectionists that, that are other agencies or, or, or the, the worry that, um, you know, uh, younger people can't, aren't up to the job. And, and I'm not saying put them straight in front of clients, but I am saying that we need to make sure that we carve out time within our businesses to, to, really, to really nurture younger uh, individuals that are making their way through the ranks. Otherwise, no one's going to work in agency world in years to come. Completely. I, I think the younger generations are just getting better and better. Like we've got a couple of 18 year olds that work for us and it's just like, I was never that good at their age. They're just it's just different. Brilliant. They're yeah. just so far ahead of where I was. But, 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 you know, uh, the, we're different at different things now. I think that, you know, you're never going to be able to compare yourself because you were, you're living it every day. But, um, you know, someone like Ian, who was my boss, uh, back at, at Sandy Balls, you know, he saw something, you know, in me to go, you know, Rich, let's harness this potential and direct it. I think that, you know, I, he didn't give me carte blanche here. You know, I was in his office every every other day <laughs> at the end of a day and him telling me what I'd done well and what I hadn't done well, right? And I think that it's that support and guidance and focus which is um, really, really important. And my final question, Richard, what is it you know about B2B marketing today that you wish you knew at the very beginning of your career? Uh, the best ideas aren't always the ones that cost the most. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. We come full circle. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> great place to end. Richard, thank you so much for doing this. No worries. No worries. It's been great. Really good. We have been speaking with Richard Hadler. He is currently the CEO of Allen. If you enjoyed this conversation, then head over to Apple Podcasts where you can listen to over 170 such conversations we've had with world-class leaders in media, advertising, and the agency world. Follow us on LinkedIn, head over to agencydomasters.com and sign up to our weekly email newsletter to make sure you never miss an episode. We would be unable to do the show that our very own Dealmasters, Tyler Baller is our booker, Christoph Boaszczyk is our executive producer. I'm Nathan Anibaba. You've been listening to Agency Dealmasters. You were listening to Agency Dealmasters, brought to you by Bridge, the growth-focused podcast agency 